Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Watch The Thing. I'm Billy. I'm Topher. Thanks for joining us. How are you going? How's your week been? Fine. Thank you for asking. So, this week, it was your choice to choose what we were going to watch. and Which you actually nominated. I did nominate. We've we've got kind of a shared list, like a spreadsheet with a list of movies that we haven't seen. Our list of shame. And you and everybody I know is shocked and appalled that I've never made it to this movie. The number one on IMDb's top 250 list. Yeah. Which- whether it should be number one, I'm sure we will address. Yeah, yeah. it's user it's user based. You haven't seen it. I know that I am supposed to have seen this movie, and I wanted to see this movie a couple of years ago. Actually, when my wife and I were in Maine, we went to watch it, and the DVD was scratched, so we got about twenty seconds in, and then it was just juddery. And I'm like, "Well, this is an interesting style, Darabon." Yeah, so that didn't happen. Uh, so, if you hadn't guessed from like the title of the episode that you clicked on or something, we are talking about 1994's The Shawshank Redemption, yes. written and directed by Frank Darabond, who I believe paid Stephen King $1,000 for the rights. 5000 Oh, five grand. But fun fact, Stephen King never cashed the check. I did know that. He later framed it and gave it back to Darabont. So, that's pretty cool. Nice touch. Stephen King used to have this program where he would sell the rights to his short stories to budding filmmakers for a dollar. Darabont was in that kind of program, made one of his short films- Back in the late 80s, early 90s. And yeah. my understanding of some of King's short stories is that a dollar is maybe <laughs> an inflated price. <laughs> well, I mean, you talk about a man who pumps out, you know, 50 stories an hour. So they're not all gold. <laughs> so to put in some kind of perspective here, the with, with Shawshank being number one on that top 250 list, let's keep in mind Citizen Kane is number 72. Yeah, that's outrageous. Interstellar is 31. Jennifer's body knots even on it. <laughs> so, Interstellar is considered by the users of IMDb a significantly better film than Citizen Kane. Yeah, that's, that's outrageous. So what are you doing, IMDb users? Let's just keep that in mind. Yeah. Shawshank has this strange place in- I don't, And I don't know if this happens outside of Australia, but in Australia, football players- are obsessed with the Shawshank Redemption. Any time a football player is asked, what is your favourite movie? It's, I swear, it's like a two out of three chance it's Shawshank. Maybe they haven't actually seen the movie and they're just going by that poster of like him in the rain and it kind of looks like he's just won a football match. Could be. Yeah, maybe they think it's a footy movie. It's just the victory stance. (laughs) Yeah. That'll be me one day. So, I was reading that, so the movie was made on only a $25 million budget. Did you know that it was a huge box office flop at I first? did know that. So, it only brought in $16 million at the box office on its first run. But then after its seven Academy Award nominations, it came back to the theatres and, you know, managed to make its budget back in a little bit. And, and wasn't it like it was the top film for rentals when yeah, it came out, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Something like 350,000 rentals or something in the US. It was, yeah, like the biggest. Yeah, it certainly found an audience. Yeah, well, not only that, this I found really interesting- so, Castle Rock sold the broadcast rights to Turner, and the movie was played daily on television, which, like, no wonder it became so popular. People are watching this shit every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if you That's can't escape crazy. It. <laughs> I do feel like it's a- Shawshank, I think, is part of the reason why Forrest Gump's Best Picture win is looked back on- As kind of shame. With fairly- Because Forrest Gump won Best Picture, and you look at the nominees, and you've got Shawshank and Pulp Fiction there, and you're like- <laughs> Forrest Gump's what you voted for. <laughs> All right, so tell us, what's the story about, Toph? Tim Robbins' character, Andy Dufresne, gets sent to prison. For life. Consecutive life sentences, I mm. think. Um, he forms a friendship with Morgan Freeman's character, Red, and it's about 
wacky times in Shawshank Prison. It's such a long period of time. It's really, it's like a series of events, you know. It's it's like a tall tale kind of film. Well, sp- yeah, speaking of how the movie plays out, one thing that struck me on this, because I, I watched it a few days ago before we recorded this, I hadn't seen it in, I don't know how long it would have been, but it's been quite some time. And one thing that struck me watching it this time was I would do away with the courtroom scenes at the beginning of this film entirely. Yeah, okay. I don't. I just don't feel like we need them. I feel like they're there to make you question whether or not Andy Dufresne is in fact a murderer. I think they're there to give you a little bit of insight into him and say, you know, he was seen as kind of unremorseful and, and callous and stuff in court and to make you question it. Like, this was a rare case because I watched this at home. I actually wrote down my notes as I was watching. And one note I wrote down is, did he kill his wife? And then- it becomes so clear by the end that that's not even a question. Yeah, it's funny. I, w- I thought the same thing the other day when I was watching it because when I first saw it, I was too young to have seen this movie at, at the cinema. Yeah. So, I would have come to it as, at a guess, an early teenager. And I never questioned whether Andy did it or not. I just took it as at face value. Yeah, Andy- I know Andy didn't do it because yeah. the movie's told me not. Yeah. But yeah, I do wonder if I watched it for the first time now whether I would have any- lingering doubts as to his uh, innocence. Speaking of characters in the movie, there are some great introductions to character in the film. Red's one, the first time we meet him, is a parole hearing. Yeah. And before Morgan Freeman has said a word, the way he shuffles into that room holding holding his cap, Freeman does a great job of introducing you to this character before he said a word. I thought the characterization was so strong in this movie. The way it's written- there's not a single character in this movie that you don't know exactly who they are. Every single character, even if even if they say two lines, you're like, yeah, I get you. I, I know you. And that is so rare and such efficient writing and acting. Yeah, with the with let's say the direction in cinematography, when we first meet the warden, the very first time we meet him, he quite literally emerges from darkness. Yeah, it's like studio lighting. It's like stage lighting. Yeah. It's pitch black behind him. Yeah. And they're not going for for mass subtlety from the first time we meet the warden. We're like, you're a bad egg. Yeah, look, the, I mean, the movie's not subtle really in anything it does. It's it's quite- You know, it, it would be easy to use the word cheesy for this movie, but I don't feel like that's quite right. But yeah, it's not subtle. And the direction in cinematography is so simple. Like, there's nothing really flashy going on, but it's so effective. Like- the shot motivation is really good. Every shot has a purpose. Every movement has a purpose. And I thought the lighting was outstanding, talking about cinematography. It's a note of mine as well, the the use of camera movement in the film. So, this is the first Oscar nomination for Roger Deakins. Oh, right. was this film. Uh, and the lighting is- It's superb. It's, it's phenomenal. It's so good. His use of- silhouette which yes. he's done a lot through his career and not being afraid to have you know large portions of the frame in darkness yes in this film is is really great and even though there are times where they do you know there's some fairly impressive shots there's that jib shot when they're on top of the roof like they do do some fairly involved camera work but for the most but it doesn't draw attention to itself no and they never do it for the sake of doing it yeah the lighting does such a good job of creating mood there's a lot of use of light sources like what we were saying last week with unsane except that this is actually looks good (laughs) like there's a lot of you know like in the prison there are moments where there'll just be light coming in from bars or you know like just very minimal light sources in the room that just really add to that mood 
one example that springs to mind is early on in the film, Andy's first night in prison where Captain Hadley beats that guy to death. Yeah. That's a really dark frame. Hadley's a really good villain. He's the guy in charge of all these, keeping all these murderers in line. He's a murderer. Yeah, yeah. The first day we meet Hadley, he kills someone. Yeah, he's played very well by Clancy the Brown. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the use of voiceover in the film? Because, you know, traditionally it is said, you know, voiceover's lazy. You know, why would you say something when you can show it? But this film leans pretty heavily on voiceover. What are your thoughts on it? If you've got Morgan Freeman, <laughs> tell me, yeah. why would you not? Yeah. He's got a perfect voice. And I honestly, I think for this movie, it worked exceptionally well. Interestingly, normally in the production process, voiceover's done after the shoot. Yeah, as ADR, was this not? They recorded Morgan Freeman beforehand and played it over the scenes so that the scene could play out wow. to the pacing of Freeman's voiceover. That and really- this, and this, is fr- this was Freeman's first voiceover, yeah, right. at which point the world went, <laughs> could everyone please do more of that? Narrate penguins! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, I did not know that about the way that that was done. I mean, that really, you know, particularly in that first scene with his voiceover where all the new inmates are coming into the prison and he's talking about like that was exceptionally well done the timing and everything of that scene so that makes sense i do really love some there's some little bits of of detail in the film that i think darabont should get just huge credit for like we were talking with the camera work they're not things that draw attention but think when andy first comes into prison and andy out in his civilian life was a banker when Andy first comes into prison, for the first period he is an inmate, his buttons on his shirt are always done all the way up and he presents better yes. than the other inmates. And over time, it's, it doesn't happen all in one go, but after a while, the top button isn't done up anymore. After another period of time, the second button isn't done anymore. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the film takes place over 20 years. Yeah. And they don't actually bother ageing. No, they don't. And yet, the they characters. do a good job of it. But they-, they do throw in these things that just inform you a bit that there's a change that's taken place, with certainly with Dufresne. Um, another couple of little things that, that I noticed on this last film, which I'd never seen before, In speaking of details, uh, the scene where the warden is in Andy's cell when Andy's vanished. Andy's got a bunch of- pi- other than just the poster in Andy's room, he's got he's a bunch got a of pictures of ones, yeah. around there. And one that we see- and we haven't seen it. I, I don't believe we'd seen it in any other scenes in Andy's room. But right between, I think it's between the warden and the captain, there's a picture of Einstein. Yeah, right. What's this guy done? How has he vanished? And there's this bit of genius from Andy and they've just thrown in this picture of Einstein there. It's that, yeah, that picture of Einstein you've seen a thousand times of yeah. him poking yeah. his tongue out. <laughs> yeah. It's that one. <laughs> I mean, that was a genius scene, that scene where they discover that he's missing. It that, is good. That was so well done. The only thing I don't like about that scene is how the warden says, you know, when he says it's a conspiracy, everyone's in on it, even her. Just yeah. that line, even her, and that's what motivates him to throw the rock there. It's the only bit about that scene I don't love is that one line. That's fair enough. Um, another thing I noticed was when, because we know at the end of the film that Andy's been concealing the rock hammer in the Bible. Yes. In the scene where he's- uh, where his room first gets kind of overturned by the captain, and he's reading, reading, well, you know, reading in, in quotation marks the Bible when they walk in. And I was like, he's only got the first page open. Like, how convincing <laughs> is this that Andy's reading the Bible and he's sitting there on page one when they walk in? Like, could you make a better show of being the guy <laughs> yeah. that reads the Bible? But of course, I remembered the end of the film when, oh, 
of course he's only got the first page open. The rest of the Bible has the fucking pick in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Warden didn't seem to care. He probably thought he was just rereading it. Probably. Jeez, I wish I could pull off a flat cap. So do I. I tell you, watching this movie- I'm I like, bought oh, one once and- I, Same. I, I got two of them. Yeah. <laughs> I did a clothes clean out just like last month and I was like, I can't make this thing work. <laughs> so it's gone. But Morgan Freeman makes it look so convincing. Why can't I pull and it off? And his is rubbish. I know. <laughs> the, the one I've got was like a $50 one. I'm like, yep, I'm getting a nice flat cap for myself. Looks like shit on my head. <laughs> I think you do the flat cap a lot better than me for what it's worth. Yeah. I think you should hang on to it. I think you're being harsh on yourself. So you're, I'm going to rock it tomorrow. Do it. Yeah, I will. Okay. One thing just with another thing that I find less than convincing like with that line of the warden, the famous scene where Andy plays the opera over the yeah, PA. Yeah, yep. I saw that in Family Guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, all the you've got a maximum security prison, yeah. and all the prisoners are in the yard, which I suppose is also convenient, but <laughs> yeah. they're in the yard at that yeah. point. Um, my take on maximum security prisoners is that they wouldn't all stand there in in awe of the beauty of this opera, I feel like they'd <laughs> there'd be some things that we won't say on this podcast hurled in Andy's direction, and then he'd probably get shanked. No, but they're all innocent, mate. Oh, of course, they're I forgot. All <laughs> <laughs> but also, you're probably not picturing maximum security inmates with flat caps on. No, uh, yeah. I mean, you're oh, of course, they're the time and place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, this opera's lovely. <laughs> Where's my coffee? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great shot, though. That shot where they're all in the yard, and we pan up to the speaker. It's a nice bit of yes, the camera's moving at that point but it's not flashy yeah it's still well composed with the way that the speaker that speaker comes in it's it's, shot. it's, it's gorgeous just uh, it's probably my favorite shot of the film yeah for every big budget thing where the camera or the virtual camera whizzes around doing things that an actual camera can't possibly do that i'm sure they think is amazing roger deacon's got news for you yeah so speaking of the opera scene though the the music in this film is incredible. This is one of the great scores of all time. This this score is just so touching. And when the film ended, I just let the end credits roll just because I was just so happy listening who to Who did the score? score? Thomas Newman, who did Unsane. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. And it it is one of the all-time great scores. It is just so it's up there with any other score, as far as I'm concerned. It's brilliant. Oh, I've got another unconvincing thing. Yeah. It's not something I dislike. It's just something that I'm like, hmm. Can you tell me? You you watched this film very recently. Very, like two hours ago. Yeah. What were the instructions Andy gave Red for finding what he needs to find when he gets out of prison? Okay. Okay. Oh, now you're testing me. This is like a comprehension test. Uh, okay. It was a town called Buxton. Buck, Buck something. It is Buxton. Buxton. And he was to go there on a bus- and look for a tree? I don't think he had to go by that. So I don't think that was incumbent. <laughs> Something about a tree? Was there a tree? There or, was. Or a field? But you watched this a couple of hours ago. Red got told this once by Andy. Yeah, like- I wouldn't- yeah. I, There's no- If I'm Red, I am not finding that rock. Yeah, that's fair. Andy's also hoping that this scene of his that he's describing hasn't changed hasn't in 20 changed years. Hasn't changed in 20 years, because yeah. the tree that's in the film- actually has fallen over. Oh, well, there you <laughs> That's like the Forrest Gump bench is gone. Oh, is it? Yeah, I, I went there a couple of years ago, you know, I'm going to sit on that bench. Bench is gone. I just stood there with my fat man titties hanging out. It's the worst picture of me ever. <laughs> right. I would have thought that that thing would act as 
like a tourist attraction, basically. It does. So they've got a plaque there now saying this is where the bench was. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> but I think from memory, maybe they actually like moved it because of graffiti and stuff because people were like, Bob was here eating chocolates with a feather or some shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I've said that I don't need, that I'm not sure I need the first sequence in this film to be there. Yeah. I would also really like the film to end a scene earlier. So much of the film is, particularly the back half of the film, is about hope. Yeah. And I found out that this is actually what Darabont wanted to do, and I'm with him before the studio was like, no, 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 we need a happier ending. There's that scene where, on, on the bus, you know that shot of the bus where Red's looking out the yeah, window? Yeah. That shot should be the last shot of the film. I dig that. The one thing that I think is really cool about the end of the film is that, you know, throughout two hours of, of film time, there's nothing about this film that plays out like a prison break film. Yeah. So when it happens and everyone's shocked, so are you. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, in fact, Darabont himself has said that he doesn't think of this as a prison movie. He sees it as a as a tall tale movie, and I'd 100% agree. Like, it's, it's amazing to me that this film can be almost a feel-good movie while having such dark subject matter in it. Mm. Like, it gives you that feeling of nostalgia. Even though I never watched it as a kid, I watch it and I feel like when I watch E.T. or something. Like, you get that great feeling of nostalgia because it's really just a story about a a group of friends, really. Like, you could watch this movie and and feel like it's about, you know, you and your chums from primary school or something. It's just like, it's about a group of friends who are in a place. Like, it's not really about the prison. I did get a bit of a nostalgia hit the other day watching it because I hadn't seen it in, like, it really has been a while between Shawshank viewings. And I watched the shit out of this movie as a kid. Like, we, I I imagine we just had it taped off the TV on VHS. And I must have near enough worn that tape out even though like there's there's stuff in the film that must have gone over my head yeah when when red's talking about how he's the guy that can get you stuff and he's talking about a bag of reefer or whatever i wouldn't have known what a bag of reefer was at the time but i just accepted all right that's something prisoners want yeah (laughs) yeah fun little fact red's prison cell is 237 of course another stephen king adaptation the shining room 237's a famous room so that was just a nice little nice little tie-in for them pretty cool Maybe the saddest part of the film is the storyline of Brooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Did you, you know, did you go any waterworks or anything? I was very close. (laughs) I'm I'm famously a crier, (laughs) but I kind of had to hold it together because of, you know, where I was watching the movie. I was like, no, I I can't cry right now. (laughs) So, that was when I had my little toilet break and- Just sat in the cubicle. Just one lone tear rolling down my cheek. And by one lone tear, I mean a lot of tears. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's sad stuff. It's harsh. And then, oh, that moment at the end when Morgan Freeman is leaving and it pans up and, you know, he's carved his name next to Brooks. I mean, that got me. That was, yeah. You know, one thing I thought this time when when Brooks is about to leave the prison and he lets uh, Jake- the bird he sets him free yeah yeah i was like jake's fucking dead <laughs> yeah, like bird brooks, has been like hand fed yeah, his whole Bro- life he brooks does- writes them that letter yeah. in prison he's like he, you know when he's talking about feeding the birds and he's hoping that jake might show up and say hello i'm like he's not coming brooks. he's dead <laughs> yeah. you fed him from hand his whole life did not end well for jake the bird i'm telling yeah. you so so that storyline with brooks leaving and committing suicide that doesn't happen in the novella Right. That that was something that Darabont 
added because of course the novella is only like 90 pages like there's a lot that's expanded on here and that's that's one of them which for me yeah is one of the best parts of the film yeah and it ties in with that whole theme of hope for me because like depending how you read it like what got me so much about that bit with you know their names carved on the wall to me that was almost like like you know red was there in that same place as brooks he was in that kind of depressed state where he you know, could have very easily ended up the same way. And instead, it was that hope that took him out of there, which yeah. is why it's so poignant to me when he's read was too. Speaking of um, of kind of side plots, one, another thing that I feel like we could do without- What's the name of the guy, the younger inmate that comes Tommy? in? Tommy? Is it Tommy? Tommy? It is Tommy. I'm not actually convinced we need Tommy's storyline in this film. I'm with you there. I actually think it's a bit of a momentum sapper. Yeah, in a movie that is two hours 20, which for the early 90s- it was very long. Yeah, like yeah, it's not Lawrence of Arabia, but it's not. Yeah, this was a this was a time where plenty of films were still ninety minutes. Yeah, and and it does it does feel long. I think that's not a bad thing to me. I don't mind a long movie, but it did stretch that out. The only thing you actually need from that storyline is that by the end, Andy really has decided that he wants to do one over on the, the warden. Yeah, and there are other ways. To get to that point. I actually really did like the progression of the warden in this film. Like, it's clear that he's he's a dick. He's always a dick. But that becomes so much more evident as the film goes on. Like, that first time you see him, he almost seems kind of not nice, but he- you know, he seems like kind of a, a, a regular dude who's just doing his job, you know? Yeah, you wonder at that point- whether he was corrupt. Yeah. Quite possibly not. And then as the film goes on, you see that progression from him just kind of escalating. Mm. And he's one of those good villains that he do- he doesn't think of himself as a villain. No, no. I can certainly think of better things than crawling through half a mile of poop. Oh, that'd be average at best. Yeah. Would, would you do it? If it was between life imprisonment and half a mile of poop? I think I'd do the poop. Do you think you'd have the stamina? I don't think you could even do okay. the hole. <laughs> <laughs> I would take the idea of crawling through the poop. You're right. I'd get halfway and be like, well, now I'm just going to die just here. lay there and drown in feces. <laughs> Not how I want to go. No. It is convinced. I mean, it's good news for Andy where that thing pops out. Yeah, I mean, that's Because 10 seconds later, he's- if not clean, he's in a far better state. I mean, you got to wonder, like, how how far his plan actually went. Like, he didn't have a blueprint of the prison. He didn't know where his tunnel was going to. So, I guess he was just like, well, it's either this or die. So, yeah. he was comfortable yeah. with dying, I guess. Because he very well could have died in that escape plan. Because yeah, was- it wasn't really a plan. Yeah, it's trusting to hope. Yeah. Yep. So, who do you think is redeemed? What is the Shawshank Redemption? I have no idea what the title means. I, like, is that just me? Am I an idiot? You know, it's funny. I, like, I've never thought of it. And it might be because I- It may well be because I first came to this film at an age where it's just not something that occurs to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like, at that age, it was just two big words. And- yeah. Isn't that funny? I've never thought about it. Yeah. Like, I just, I just have to wonder what was intended by- the title. Because, of course, the original title of the novella is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And even in that, the only bit I get is Rita Hayworth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just have to wonder who was redeemed. And w- I mean, Red is the obvious candidate. Yeah. I suppose in that scene, in his final parole scene. Or is it the prison itself being redeemed by Andy? Being, or, yeah, being like, getting redemption from the warden yeah. and, and the captain. Like getting them taken care of. Yeah. It might be a maybe choose your own adventure title. <laughs> yeah. Whose story is this for you? 
That's a really tough question because, of course, it's it's from Red's point of view, but arguably Andy is the protagonist. If I had to give my opinion, I'd say that this is Red's story, mainly because Red is Red is the only one who we actually get a sense of how he's feeling about things. You know, like even in his voiceover, he's talking about, you know, like how he liked Andy from the start and all that kind of stuff. From Andy, we only see him from Red's perspective. So even though he's the protagonist, we don't get a lot of sense about his emotions or his intentions, if that makes sense. Like we don't see him digging the tunnel. We don't see him- making these plans. So, to me, I'd say it's Red's story. For what is really a a character-driven film, there's not, like, a ton of growth in it, really. You know, it's not even like Red is, like, this hardened criminal and through his relationship with Andy, he's softening. Because right from the the very first time we see him, he's going for parole and saying that he's changed. And you genuinely believe him. You believe that Red isn't a murderer. Like, you know- Oh, no, not me. His first parole hearing, I think he's just saying what he thinks they want to hear. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I was on board with Red from the start. I just felt like, yeah, he's a nice dude. Oh, I'm not saying I think he's a necessarily a- I mean, he is a murderer. I don't think it's until his final parole hearing that he actually- There is a change in the character of Red by that point. So, going back to the the Oscars of that year, which Forrest Gump won Best Picture- yeah. Who would you give Best Picture to? Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> Good man. I love Four Weddings and a Funeral. <laughs> no. no. Okay. So, the nominations that you were Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and a Funeral, The Shawshank Redemption, and Quiz Show. Oh, Quiz Show's a good film. Oh. It would be between Pulp Fiction and Shawshank for first. Probably Shawshank. Mm. I'd have to. You? Uh, I th- I'd have to go Pulp Fiction. That's fair. Look, they're both- extremely good films. Like, I don't know if I believe that this should be number one on the top 250 list. It but, in, but in saying that, it is a near flawless film. It's hard to, to fault it. To me, it's like film is so subjective. You know, like the film that I think should be number one is probably, you know, 100 plus. So- No, mate, I checked. Sinbad's not in there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you interested at all or do you even care in who actually killed Dufresne's wife? No, absolutely not. Me neither. I, I, I honestly do not care. It's so funny. It's such a huge plot point in the movie. That's why he's there. That's why he's in prison. And yet, I don't care what that guy's motivation was or who it was. Yeah, it's it, yeah, and it's another. It's a part of that Tommy storyline that I think we could do without. Yeah. Because who did it is completely inconsequential. Exactly. All right. So this this was you know. Your choice, but kind of, kind of a, a shared decision. Now, so you don't believe this should be number one? Certainly not. I'm, I'm a long time Shawshank fan. Yep. It's not the best film ever. So, what's your rating for it then? I'm a nine out of ten. Nine. Yep. I'm exactly the same. This is a nine out of ten movie. It's near perfect with some of those minor plot things. It, it, this could have been a perfect movie, and it's really, really good. Mm. So, for me, couple of pacing issues there. A main character that you're actually not necessarily totally invested in. Yeah, yeah, like you, yeah. You're you're totally invested in. Well, for me, I'm totally invested in his story without necessarily being totally invested in him. He says his wife used to describe him. As yeah, a book, yeah, which yeah. is which is brilliant. Yeah, to steal yeah. yeah to steal from the film that is that the that really is Andy. Yes, yeah, and as I said though, 
that's still good characterization. It's not. It's by no means the wrong choice no, for the film. No, it is good. Like every character in this film is very, very well presented through both writing and acting. Like you know who all of these people are. Like yeah, it's very well done. Yeah, like anything I say, anything negative about this film, I say is serious nitpicking because. Yeah. It's seriously good. Yeah, it's a great movie. If you're some freak like me who hasn't seen it, go watch it. Pretend you're an Australian footy player (laughs) and go fall in love with it. Or at least go watch the Family Guy version because that's pretty good too. (laughs) (laughs) Then look at the two films that come after it on the IMDb list and go, well, they're both better. (laughs) (laughs) What are the next two? Godfather and Godfather 2. No, well, this was good. I'm glad that I finally watched it. I'm really glad that I finally watched it because I've been wanting to for so long. I know. Sometimes you just need something lit under you to make you yeah, make you do these things. Yeah. All right. So, what are we getting to next week? Are we getting to J- Jason Reitman's new film? Yeah, Tully. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm a big Reitman fan, big Diablo Cody fan. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. yeah so, I- the team behind Juno. Yep. Reuniting, which, yeah, which is exciting. And Charlize Theron, who and worked Charlize with Diablo Theron. Cody on Young Adult, which yeah. was also really good. So, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or at wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at wewatchthething. And thanks for joining us. I'm taking Billy to the shower room. Gadgets. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> Like, hi, everybody. I'm Pitney, and this is Amelia from the Bitchin' Boutique. We'd love to have you explore our wonderful world of weirdness with us. All delivered with our signature humor, sassiness, and dare I say, bitchiness. General fandom. Star Wars. Star Trek. Fabulous furries. Horror. Pitney's obsession with eating terrible foods. Amelia's penchant for real cooking. The worst person in the world who thinks it's stupid to brush your teeth. Verity Noslin, who once cried in a Kinko's because the wrong copier was used. Trisha von Lichtenstein, a woman with a less than wholesome relationship with her car. But wait, there's more. Like everyone, we have our more serious sides, and we share a healthy dose of what makes us tick and what is important to us. Queer issues, women's politics, alternative spiritualities. Stop on by for a visit. We're sure you'll want to stay. Pitney and Amelia's Bitchin' Boutique, wherever the best podcasts are found. That's good. What you been up to? Working. <laughs> well, that's not interesting, so that can get cast. <laughs> yep. <laughs>